Welcome to ERMI Podcast. This is Joel Applebaum. I'm the Chief Content Officer at ERMI. And for over 40 years, ERMI has been an industry leader in educating and informing insurance risk management professionals in construction. And we're excited to bring you this Snap Talk from the 39th Annual ERMI Construction Risk Conference. It's titled, Understanding Your Employment Practices Liability Policy Reporting Procedures. It is brought to you by Ed Rohn. He's a principal, vice president, and claims manager at Parker, Smith & Feek. All right, thank you. So Adrian and Sky spent time talking about the future. I'm gonna talk a little bit about what the here and now we're talking about. We're in the era of the Me Too movement, and rightly so. But we're gonna talk about how do you make sure as a construction firm, you're using your employment practices liability to its best advantage. So I've been doing claims for 35 years, and the number one claim issue I run into is the issue associated with employment practices liability policies. A lot of times our construction clients just don't understand exactly how the, these policies work. And I think the disconnect comes a lot with that the C-suite, the CEO, CFO, human, uh, 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 the risk manager may be buying the policy, but they may not have flowed down the actual way the policy works to the, the HR group who's dealing on the front lines with uh, discrimination, retaliation, all sorts of different issues related to employment practices and employment practices law. So one of the goals that I have is I, I do this calling it the spreading the EPL gospel. I spend a lot of time with attorneys speaking on this uh, topic. It's usually a two hour presentation, so I'm bringing this down to 15 minutes, but you guys ready for the challenge that we'll get through it that way we will, okay? So first of all, if there's anything I can get for you to take away from this, an employment practices liability policy is a claims made and usually claims made and reported. What does claims made mean? I'm gonna go to some remedial items here. Claims made is different than your current space policy, like your auto liability and your general liability. In those policies, it's the actual policy in place when the occurrence happens that responds. So if you have a employment practices liability policy, it's a claims made. So it's the policy in place when the claim is actually made that will respond. So as an example, if you had a um, individual who says, hey, I was discriminated upon in 2018, and they presented a claim in 2019, it's the policy in place in 2019 that responds. On an occurrence-based policy, it would have been the policy that was in place in 2018. So you have to understand what a claims-made uh, coverage in, entails. But then you have to make sure that it's reported within that policy period as well. So making sure that there's um, a, a, a process in place to make sure that reporting is done in accordance with the policy and to make sure that um, there's not gonna be an issue with cover trigger. So why is it so important that you uh, make a claims made in, uh, under that policy? <clears throat> a lot of our clients will come back and say, well, it's not that big of a deal. The insurance company uh, could have just accepted this regardless that we were late in reporting it. And so uh, they can move forward. The idea is the legal concept that, that the insurance company is not prejudiced by that late reporting. The difficulty is, uh, check your jurisdiction, but many of the jurisdictions around the US have taken kind of a, a viewpoint. The courts have ruled 
Individuals or companies that buy employment practices liability policies are more of a sophisticated insurance buyer, much more than your homeowner or your standard business bot policy. And therefore, there's no ambiguity about claims made and reported under the policy. So that the courts have ruled, if you don't report it within the claims made and reported time period, there's no coverage. The, in, the insurance companies do not have to show that they were prejudiced in any way to be able to say that they, um, they still have to provide the coverage. So you might say, okay, great, but I don't know what a claim really is in the employment practices uh, concept. Need to go to the actual wording of the policy, the definition of a claim, and it's usually uh, defined as a written demand for mon monetary or non-monetary relief, okay? But let's say you had a, uh, I had a particular claim. An attorney letter uh, was written to uh, our client saying, this individual was uh, wrongfully terminated, former employee, and we are demanding half a million dollars in um, reimbursement. Obviously, that's a claim. Now, what about if that particular same item is there was a notice, a written demand before that attorney's letter came about? And I'll use a great example. We had a client in which the um, demand letter came from the attorney. It was turned into the insurance company within the policy period. Turns out everything was moving along until the investigation was done by the insurance company, which showed that at this individual who's making the claims performance review 18 months ago that he was demoted in that performance review and he wrote handwritten onto that performance review, I feel like I'm being discriminated and I want my old job back. That was a written demand for mon non-monetary relief, his job back, and the insurance company denied coverage because that was provided before the, uh, uh, that was in, uh, the claim was actually made before the expiration of the policy period. So that's the reason why it's so important. Now, the other thing that uh, is involved is that the idea of that definition of a claim also will include any type of administrative action provided by state, local, uh, the EEOC, any kind of the uh, regulatory agencies, and making sure that those notifications that come in into your HR group that they're aware of that requirement of your policy and making sure that they're providing that notice uh, either through their insurance broker or directly to the insur uh, insurance company. <clears throat> I won't go back through and rehash some of the common mistakes about failure to notify. I've ex pretty much explained that that's going to be a problem for most people if they don't report within the policy period. But the other things that we have seen is that there's the idea of engaging legal counsel without the consent of the insurer. Now, if you're a large general contractor and you have a million, $2 million self-insured retention on your employment practices policy, you may have conditions within that endorsement that allows you to go ahead and assign attorneys as you see fit up to 50% of that retention value. So look at your particular policy. But for a lot of our GC clients, uh, a lot of them are facing a twenty-five, dollars $75,000 self-insured retention, and there's no clause allowed for that. It says before you engage any kind of expense to 
provide back to the insurance company, you have to get consent from the insurance company. And oftentimes I see is that our clients will go ahead and engage their uh, employment law attorney right off the bat without considering the insurance implications of that and then they want to submit the bills for their attorney, those will not erode the self-insured retention or will not be accepted by the insurance company because they were not cons uh, consented or, or uh, spoken with about it before it actually happened. It's somewhat the same about attempting to settle claims without the insurer's consent. Sometimes clients have the idea that they can go ahead and knock this out. It's quick. We can pay for it quickly. Uh, it's only you know $100,000 on this employee who is making this bad claim. We think we might have had some exposure. Let's go ahead and knock that out and then submit the claim to the insurance company following and ask for reimbursement. You're not going to get the, what the old uh, tuna commercial was. Sorry, Charlie. You're not going to get that kind of re uh, reimbursement after the fact. You need to always be in consultation with your insurance company. So there's some benefits in regards to reporting of uh, uh, the, these types of claims and circumstances. Is that by making your notifications under the policy, it actually will then ensure that if you're going to be moving to other types of policies in the future where you have larger self-insured retentions, you've locked in your lower self-insured retention under the existing policy. And also you might say, well, wait a second. I don't know if a particular matter, we had some terminations, right? We don't know if uh, those terminations are going to result in uh, actual claims in the future. But we think we have some concerns. Uh, or you have an employee that was just terminated and on their way out the door, uh, they yell, I'm going to sue you. You got a pretty good indication that that claim is going to be coming forward. The policy allows for uh, a process of reporting those types of circumstances. It's called uh, reporting a circumstance that could give rise to, the, to a claim. And if you put that parameters, that information together, showing uh, usually there's a requirement in the policy telling you what to include, meaning the person who's going to make the claim, who the claim is going to be made against, um, what the allegations might entail, and how did you, the insured, first uh, become aware of the situation. And if you provide that to the insurance company as a circumstance that could give rise to a claim, it places a placehold in that policy. And so that anything in the future that comes up in a true claim, an EEOC action, a demand from an attorney, that you've put the notice under that policy. Again, the benefit of that, you may have a lower self-insured retention under that old policy, and you've been able to bring it back to that old policy. The other one, I'll use an example of a, a situation I had, was um, our client reported a circumstance that could give rise to a claim. The claim actually arose... Um, uh, 18 months later, an actual demand from an attorney came in. We said, we made the circumstance. We're going to push it back to there. You have a $75,000 self-insured retention. Turns out, while the investigation by these allegations by this employee was done, there were three employees who felt in that investigation, they then became retaliated upon themselves just in the investigation. They were not part of the alleged act, but they said they felt like because of their testimony in the investigation that they were then retaliated upon. They came out of what's called the same nexus of fact and became what's called an interrelated act. So interrelated acts then will go back to the original claim, same nexus of fact, and when we, instead of having three 
$75,000 self-insured retentions for three different claims, it became that all three of them were related to that same incident, so we only had one $75,000 self-insured retention that applied. So that's why you wanna be able to use those uh, reporting processes to make sure you're doing everything correctly. The last item that I wanted to bring up in this is don't also forget that most employment practices liability policies will include what's called third-party claims. So if you had vendors coming on site, a subcontractor coming on site, and that subcontractor says, hey, I felt like I was discriminated upon, the employment practices liability policy usually will provide that extension of coverage to those vendors and subcontractors. It's the same reporting requirements, same type of uh, notifications that are required under that, but it gives you another protection piece that you may not be thinking about, nor may, it may not involve your HR group because it's not an employee who's bringing the claim. It may go into your general counsel, it may go into your uh, C-suite, and making sure they understand how that policy is actually gonna operate, it will operate the same as a first party EPL claim and make sure that the policy will respond. So I'm not trying to make you all experts in employment practices liability, but I wanted to give you some ideas of how to utilize your policy to this best effect. Make sure you report timely, you determine with your HR group what a claim is, and make sure that you consult with your broker when those claims come forward. I'm getting done early because uh, hoping any questions. Again, thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. Go to ermy.com for more information and be sure to subscribe there to Ermy Podcast for more talks like this and to be notified when a new episode is released.